Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. It looks like verbal diorama is playing with the big boys now. Playing with the big boys now. Oh, that's pretty. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 136, The Prince of Egypt. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. As always, welcome back to this podcast, whether you are a regular returning listener or a brand new listener to this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. No matter how you found this podcast, I'm so grateful that you did find this podcast, especially now because... Every year, in January and February, I do something called animation season. Now, I do animated movies here and there throughout the year on this podcast, but I like to do a dedicated season for animation. And this is animation season 2022. It's also called animation season three, because this is the third annual animation season that Verbal Diorama has done. And it's genuinely one of my favorite things because I get to talk about movies like The Prince of Egypt, but I also like to reiterate some really important points that I think a lot of people forget about animation. The animation, first of all, it's not a genre. It is listed as a genre. If you go on Amazon, you look for a DVD. There will be an animation genre, which is pretty ridiculous, really. But also, that animation is not just for children. And I think this is a movie that encompasses that really, really well. Because although this is a movie that children can watch, it's a movie that families can enjoy together. It's a movie that parents can explain a lot of history to children based on this movie. It's a very palatable movie, but it talks about some really, really serious and difficult things to do with basically the history of the world and specifically the history of Egypt. But there's also a theological side to this movie as well. Obviously, some parents might not be particularly religious. I am not particularly religious myself. However, I appreciate the story of the Prince of Egypt for the theological side as well as the historical side. 
and the animation, because this is one of the most beautiful movies that I think you will probably ever see. There's a lot of beautiful animated movies out there, but there's something really, really special about The Prince of Egypt, which one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it. But before I do, I just wanted to say a huge thank you basically to everyone who has listened to the previous episodes in this animation season. I did the Transformers, the movie as the first. I mean, that episode was just hugely successful. Like so many people commented about that and, and gave me their thoughts. I really enjoyed the history of Transformers because it's a history that not a lot of people know about, but also then the more recent ones. So Wolfwalkers and Corpse Bride. I like to use animation season to not only talk about the animated movies that everyone knows and loves, you know, you've got your Disney's and your Pixar movies, but also the ones that people don't because either they haven't seen them or they don't know about them or in my case for Corpse Bride, don't remember watching them. I do remember Corpse Bride now. I will never forget Corpse Bride again, I promise. And there's obviously going to be plenty of Disney and Pixar stuff coming in this season. I guarantee you 100% there will be. But sometimes it's nice to be reminded what actually is out there in the field of animation. That although Disney and Pixar do dominate the arena, there are so many other studios out there. A lot of these studios don't exist anymore, but that doesn't mean their movies don't deserve the recognition because they absolutely do. So this is the fourth movie that I'm covering this animation season. And this is a full-on biblical epic. This was a landmark for DreamWorks animation, but it's also a movie that's banned in several Muslim countries. The Prince of Egypt is an animated movie that deals with, like I say, serious topics like slavery, infanticide, the plagues of Egypt and the wrath of God. And yeah, it still remains a must watch for not only families, but pretty much everyone, actually. Here's the trailer for The Prince of Egypt. Hush now, my baby, be still now, don't cry. Sleep as you're Rescued from a river. Come, Ramesses. We will show Pharaoh your new baby brother, Moses. <laughs> second born, second place. Not for long. Raised by royalty. You are not a prince of Egypt. What did you say? Everything I am is a lie. You are our son. I can't stay here any longer. Moses? Please. Goodbye, brother. The truth gave him the courage to do the impossible. Abandon this futile mission, Moses. DreamWorks Pictures presents a story for our time. Look at your life through heaven's eyes. A celebration of the human spirit. Egypt, the pharaoh Seti, fearing the growing numbers of slaves could rebel against him, orders all Hebrew baby boys to be executed, 
A desperate mother puts her infant son in a basket on the Nile to save him from execution. Found and adopted by Queen Tuya, the baby is named Moses and brought up as a prince of Egypt and brother to the Pharaoh's son Ramesses. Now a young man, Moses discovers his true heritage as a Hebrew, is disturbed by the Pharaoh's treatment of his people and exiles himself. After escaping from the city and being accepted as a simple shepherd by the Midianite people, Moses finds that he is called by God to lead his people out of Egypt as God's messenger. Unfortunately, Ramesses now rules over the Hebrews with an iron fist and it will take all of Moses' strength and God's miracles to set the Hebrew people free. We will quickly, as always, run through the cast. This is an absolutely stacked cast. If you think of animated movies, you might have the odd famous name here or there. You know, I'm thinking maybe something like Aladdin, where you had Robin Williams of The Lion King. Had a few more big names in there, but mainly it was the likes of Matthew Broderick. But this is an absolutely stacked cast. Genuinely, there's so many big names in this movie. We're going to start with Val Kilmer as Moses. He also plays the uncredited voice of God. Ray Fiennes as Ramesses. Michelle Pfeiffer as Zipporah. Sandra Bullock as Miriam. Jeff Goldblum as Aaron. Danny Glover as Jethro. Patrick Stewart as Pharaoh Seti. Helen Mirren as Queen Tuya. Steve Martin as Hotep. Martin Short as Hoy. And Ofra Haza as Yoshived. Now, you might not know who Ofra Haza is. She was an Israeli singer, actress, and Grammy Award-nominated artist. She was commonly known as the Israeli Madonna, and she sang the song Deliver Us in English, obviously, as well as 17 other languages. And this is just absolutely phenomenal. So these languages included Hebrew, Czech, Dutch, Hungarian, Swedish, French, Italian, Spanish, and German, amongst others. And she actually died two years after The Prince of Egypt was released. And she was only 42 years of age. So I really wanted to highlight her because I think particularly her song Deliver Us is one of the most beautiful pieces of music. And I'm going to talk about the music of the Prince of Egypt, obviously, because the music of the Prince of Egypt is absolutely stunning. We've got some beautiful songs, a wonderful Hans Zimmer score as well. The Prince of Egypt was written by Philip Lezebnik, is directed by Brenda Chapman, Steve Hickner and Simon Wells, and is based on the book of Exodus. The story of the Prince of Egypt theologically starts thousands of years ago, but for the purposes of haste, I'm going to start this story with Jeffrey Katzenberg, co-founder of DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen, and he produced some of Disney's biggest hits like The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin and The Lion King. In fact, it was him taking so much credit for the success of Renaissance Disney in the late 80s and early 90s that led to his downfall at Disney. Because Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to become Michael Eisner's second-in-command, replacing Frank Wells. When Wells died in a helicopter crash, Katzenberg assumed that he was a shoo-in for the role, but Eisner refused to promote him. There was no love lost between Eisner and Katzenberg, which led to Katzenberg being forced to resign in October 1994 and receiving an out-of-court settlement for $250 million. Of course, this is the first time someone who worked at Disney would get fired and leave to form their own animation studio. And Don Bluth will be coming up this animation season. It's worth noting at this point that when Katzenberg took responsibility for DreamWorks animation division, traditional animation was reigning supreme, sort of. Pixar, which Katzenberg had sealed the partnership deal between Pixar and Disney just before he left, were working on the first full-length computer animated movie, Toy Story, which I talked about in episode 50 of this podcast. 
And while no one knew the lasting legacy Toy Story would have on animation, DreamWorks soldiered on with traditional animation and CG animation. I've talked about CG animation at DreamWorks in the episode that I did on Shrek. Shrek came out in 2001 and was a landmark of animation for many reasons. But I made a mistake in that episode and I'm going to come clean and say that I made a mistake. Because I said The Prince of Egypt was DreamWorks' first animated movie. It's actually their first animated hand-drawn movie. And additionally, The Prince of Egypt was supposed to be their first animated movie. But it wasn't. Because it's easy to forget the actual first release for DreamWorks animation was Ants. And the reason for this, confusion over Ants and The Prince of Egypt, was because Jeffrey Katzenberg, he was disillusioned after leaving Disney, and he wanted to compete with Disney. And while at Disney, he had suggested several ideas for animated features. One was an animated version of The Ten Commandments, which, for obvious reasons, I will come back to. The other was a movie called Army Ants, about a pacifist work ant who teaches independent thinking to his colony. Sounds familiar, right? At the same time, Pixar was developing their project, then called Bugs, but to be known as a Bugs Life a feature that was well known in the industry to be ongoing at the time. The idea that Katzenberg had stolen the idea led to a feud between DreamWorks and Pixar and ultimately led to Disney scheduling a Bugs Life the same weekend as DreamWorks intended first animated release, The Prince of Egypt. DreamWorks would instead switch Ants and The Prince of Egypt and additionally release Ants a month earlier than A Bugs Life just to basically give the finger to Disney. And while critically they'd be comparable, they both have a 92% of Rotten Tomatoes, for example, a book's life would outgross Ants by almost $200 million. Going back to the Ten Commandments, there have been two live-action versions of that story, both by Cecil B. DeMille, one in 1923 and the other in 1956. The 1956 movie starring Charlton Heston as Moses and Yul Brynner as Ramesses was based on several novels, including Dorothy Clark Wilson's 1949 novel Prince of Egypt which won the Westminster Prize for the best religious book the year it was published. The Ten Commandments was the highest grossing film of 1956 and adjusted for inflation has earned a box office gross of $2 billion. That's according to 2001 figures. At the time, Disney were known to be adapting well-known fairy tales or novels that could translate easily to Disneyfication. When Katzenberg left Disney to form DreamWorks in 1994, he, Steven Spielberg and David Geffen, discussed the Ten Commandments as a potential idea for a film. At that time, Disney had released The Lion King and were finishing work on Pocahontas based on the historical figure with a certain amount of Disneyfication and whitewashing, as well as The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is one of the darker movies of modern Disney, but it was still softened from its original text. Hercules was a comedic take on the legendary Greek god. The movie Disney was making at the time DreamWorks were considering an adaptation of The Ten Commandments was Mulan. And there's even more to this story when it comes to Mulan and the Prince of Egypt, because also in 1994, composer Stephen Schwartz had signed on to write the songs for Mulan. That was in the March of that year. He underwent a research trip to China, and in June of that year, he was contacted by Jeffrey Katzenberg to ask him if he would consider writing songs for their upcoming animated movie. And Stephen Schwartz agreed. He thought it was a great idea. He loved the idea of doing a movie of the Ten Commandments, but Disney soon found out. Michael Eisner phoned Stephen Schwartz and urged him to reconsider his involvement with a DreamWorks project due to the rivalry between the two companies. Schwartz refused and ended up parting ways with the Mulan project 
and the three songs that he'd written for Mulan were dropped amid story changes. Schwartz was one of the first people to come onto the fledgling Prince of Egypt project and reportedly never regretted leaving Mulan. Schwartz would start writing the songs, such as Deliver Us, before the story was even completed. The Prince of Egypt itself would be written through storyboards. They used the basic story of the Book of Exodus, and story supervisors Kelly Asbury and Laura Cook would lead a team of 14 storyboard artists to sketch the entire film sequence by sequence. This was not a Disney fairy tale adaptation that could be flexible enough to have a little artistic license, because this story didn't just involve the basis of one religion, it had elements of the basis of three of the biggest religions in the world, Christianity, Judaism and Islam. And the last thing DreamWorks wants to do is offend followers of those religions. I mean, they still kind of did, but more on that later. Now, at the time, the Prince of Egypt was seen as the main competition to Disney's fair. The Prince of Egypt was A-grade material for DreamWorks, and DreamWorks actually took their responsibility to the biblical source material very seriously. The opening text crawl to the Prince of Egypt reads, The motion picture you are about to see is an adaptation of the Exodus story. While artistic and historical license has been taken, we believe that this film is true to the essence, values and integrity of a story that is a cornerstone of faith for millions of people worldwide. The biblical story of Moses can be found in the book of Exodus. DreamWorks were genuinely concerned about theological accuracy. They called in biblical scholars as well as theologians of the Christian, Jewish and Muslim faith, as well as Arab leaders to ensure the characters and story were depicted accurately and faithfully. Is the Prince of Egypt historically accurate? Well, I have done a little bit of research on this. Now, I found a website, it's called dailyhistory.org, and it basically suggests the movie actually follows the biblical account of Exodus fairly well, closer than most other films, and correctly portrays details of New Kingdom Egypt, but that there are plenty of fictional additions. I'll add a link to Daily History's article of the historical accuracy of the Prince of Egypt in the show notes. But to summarise... The movie takes place during the reign of Ramesses II, who ruled 1279-1213 BC, which is when Egyptologists and biblical archaeologists believe that the Exodus took place. The weapons used by soldiers are accurate portrayals of weapons during that period. A sickle-shaped sword and bows were the primary weapons during the reign of Ramesses II. Chariots were also commonplace, as were the use of sand rams to build monuments mostly due to the fact the wheel had not yet been invented, so ramps were used to pull blocks up. It also mentions the hairstyles of both Ramesses II and his son, the solid look of youth, which was a style for male adolescents, usually of nobility, were accurately portrayed. But the most interesting fact is that recent studies by biblical archaeologists and Egyptologists have demonstrated that the plagues of Egypt may have actually been a historical reality as concluded by biblical scholar Greta Hort in 1957-1958, it's unsure which exact date, that they weren't acts of God, but rather natural occurrences. According to Hort, the first plague, the River of Blood, occurred because of a massive amount of red algae, plus a huge quantity of red earth washed into the Nile by excessive rains on the Abyssinian Plateau. This algae deoxygenated the water, killing the fish, and giving rise to bacteria which made the frogs sick, and so they left the river, that is the second plague. Mosquitoes bred in the floodwaters, the third plague, which led to the biting fly breeding in the decaying plants left by the retreating Nile flood, fourth plague. The fifth plague was anthrax spread by the dead frogs. The sixth plague, boils and sores, was skin anthrax transmitted by the biting flies. 
The seventh plague was coincidental weather of hail and thunder, which promoted the locusts of the eighth plague. The ninth plague of darkness across the lands of Egypt was caused by desert sandstorm, which blotted out the sun. And the tenth plague was not the death of firstborn children, but the destruction of the last remains of the first fruits of the harvest. This was apparently a corruption of the Bible text, according to Hort. Now, it must be said that all of these theories have been debunked by independent scientific scrutiny, as well as giving a cogent argument by other scientists, including Kenneth Kitchen. But all in all, when it comes to what is depicted in the Prince of Egypt, most scholars or anyone knowledgeable about its biblical origins will attest that although the story takes liberties with both the history and the biblical story, it is still a very good adaptation of that story. As I said, DreamWorks and Jeffrey Katzenberg specifically were very invested in making the Prince of Egypt as faithful as possible, which included a two-week research trip out to Egypt to understand the sheer scale of what they were working with and to harvest a culture of love and admiration for the country and its history, whether that's completely accurately depicted or not. Stephen Schwartz wrote All I Ever Wanted while on the trip at the Temple of Abu Simbai. Last episode, I mentioned Carlos Grangel, who designed the characters for Corpse Bride based on Tim Burton's sketches. He's also here working on the character design for the Prince of Egypt, along with Carter Goodrich and Nicholas Marlott. And they wanted the characters to look more realistic than animated characters usually looked, including depicting various ancient Egyptian ethnicities properly. You'll notice that characters have different skin tones, which represents the different skin tones of Egyptian, Hebrew, and Nubian people. There's no one shade of brown skin in this movie, which is actually quite nice to see. Considering that DreamWorks had already nabbed people from Disney, it'll come to no surprise that the animation team of The Prince of Egypt mostly consisted of animators recruited from Disney, <laughs> as well as from Amblimation after that studio's closure in 1997. All 250 Amblimation staff joined DreamWorks, all 1,192 scenes were hand-drawn by the animators and 1,180 of those contained special effects, including wind, dust, rainwater and shadows. They used a blend of traditional and computer-generated imagery to animate the 10 plagues of Egypt. Many of the CG elements in this movie were made using software that DreamWorks actually created themselves because the software just didn't exist at the time. The parting of the Red Sea, the culmination of this movie, honestly makes me cry every single time. It's not that it's a particularly sad scene, it's actually quite a happy scene, but it's just so breathtakingly beautiful. It genuinely makes me so emotional every single time. One of the animators working on that scene was Henry Labanta, who had previously worked at Industrial Light and Magic on the tornadoes in Twister. The idea was to make the CG effects blend in so naturally with the 2D hand-drawn animation that nothing looked weird or out of place. They would take 2D animations of splashing water and then instancing it so that every splash looked hand-drawn. Because the Prince of Egypt is huge in scale, when you have human characters depicted on screen up against huge monuments and bringing scale to animated water without making it feel out of place was a huge undertaking. This four-minute scene of Moses parting the Red Sea so spectacularly took the animation team two years to complete. There's a reason why this movie was, at the time, the most expensive non-Disney theatrical animated movie until it was beaten by Final Fantasy and Spirits Within, which arguably is not as good as this. And while many think that it's a whale in the Red Sea, you'll notice its fin moves side to side, so it's more likely a whale shark. The whale shark is the biggest fish in the ocean, and they do actually live in the Red Sea. 
Each year, between March and July, certain spots in Egypt's northern and southern Red Sea transform into hotspots for whale sharks. That is something that I did not know, but now I do, and so do you. Because this movie is based on religious texts and takes a few liberties with that text, it undoubtedly annoyed some religious groups, and it ended up being banned in several Muslim countries and censored in others. Ironically, it's banned in Egypt, as well as in the Maldives and Malaysia, mainly on the grounds that Islamic prophets, which include Moses, because as I said, the story has roots in the basis of all three religions, including Islam. Prophets are revered in the Islamic faith. And because of this, they are not allowed to be visually depicted in any medium. The Prince of Egypt was also originally banned in Indonesia, but was subsequently released on video CD in that country. And one person who is never banned from this podcast, in fact, I actively encourage depictions of Keanu, is... Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and so it is time for the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And it would be very, very easy for me to link Keanu to this movie via Sandra Bullock. But I think I've done that before on another episode and I try not to do the same one. So I try and make them unique. So instead, I'm going to link him to the Prince of Egypt via the 1988 movie Dangerous Liaisons which Keanu starred in alongside Zipporah herself, Michelle Pfeiffer. And additionally, Michelle Pfeiffer also does not age, just like Keanu. I can't talk about The Prince of Egypt without talking about the music of The Prince of Egypt because the music of this movie adds to just the sheer emotion and it just really draws you into this story. I've already mentioned Stephen Schwartz and his involvement in the production since pretty much day one. But someone I haven't really mentioned is Hans Zimmer, who composed the score and produced the songs. The score was recorded entirely in London. And most well-known is obviously the song When You Believe, which was a duet by Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, which had additional music and lyrics from the version in the movie written by Kenneth Babyface Edmonds. And Mariah Carey's involvement came during the development of her movie Glitter, when she was introduced to Katzenberg, who asked her to record the song for the Prince of Egypt, Houston came on board through Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, with whom she had been collaborating on for her album, My Love Is Your Love. And despite tabloid speculation, because there obviously is, when there's women involved, there's always tabloid speculation of a feud between Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. Houston would go on record to say that her and Mariah got on great and that she really liked working with her. And both women would continue to maintain they were friends, but the press continued to state otherwise. So basically, if you are a woman in any form of media, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Unlike most animated movies, which tend to have extensive marketing campaigns aimed at children, The Prince of Egypt was positioned very differently when it came to the marketing. It was actually marketed to appeal to adults with a limited range of collectible figures and books. There was none of this McDonald's Happy Meal or, or anything like that for the Prince of Egypt. So although this is a family movie, it was definitely more aimed at the adult market, which is quite interesting. And when the Prince of Egypt was released domestically in the US on the 18th of December 1998, it opened at number two against the Meg Ryan Tom Hanks rom-com You've Got Mail. This was ahead of Pixar's A Bug's Life, which was at number three. And A Bug's Life had been out five weeks at this point. And it was also ahead of its DreamWorks stable made Ants, which was sitting at number nine after 12 weeks of release. 
And I mentioned it had a huge budget at the time for animation. The Prince of Egypt had a budget of $70 million, which nowadays sounds a bit like pittance when we're talking about movies that are made on $250 million budgets. But $70 million for an animated feature was a big deal back in 1998. The Prince of Egypt would end up grossing $101.4 million domestically, $117.2 million internationally for a worldwide gross of $218.6 million. So financially, it did very well. Critically, this is a film that's often regarded as one of the best biblical adaptations of all time, alongside the movie that inspired it, The Ten Commandments, and critics praise the visuals and the voice cast. On his 20th anniversary, Sci-Fi retrospectively reviewed it and called it the greatest animated film of all time. The Prince of Egypt is also the first Oscar winner in this particular animation season. It won Best Original Song for When You Believe, as well as being nominated for Best Original Musical or Comedy Score at the Academy Awards. It would tie for Best Animated Feature at the Critics' Choice Awards with A Bug's Life. And I don't need to tell you there's not a sequel to The Prince of Egypt because I think everyone knows there's not a sequel to The Prince of Egypt. But there is an animated prequel called Joseph, King of Dreams, which was a direct-to-video movie based on the story of Joseph from the Book of Genesis. Some of the same crew worked on Joseph, King of Dreams, which had a cast led by Mark Hamill and Ben Affleck. And Joseph, King of Dreams started production while The Prince of Egypt was being made. But it ended up being negatively compared to The Prince of Egypt because The Prince of Egypt is better. There is also a stage musical of The Prince of Egypt, which debuted in 2017. It was internationally premiered in Denmark in 2018 and made its West End debut in 2020, but was halted due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It reopened at the Dominion Theatre on the 1st of July 2021 and ran through to the 8th of January 2022. So as of recording, the musical has now closed. The musical was directed by Scott Schwartz, the son of Stephen Schwartz, and it has apparently been filmed by Universal for a future broadcast. So maybe we will get to see the Prince of Egypt musical on TV at some point. Let's take a moment to reflect on what people think about this movie. And I like to ask people what they think. And I like to ask on social media. And I also like to ask the lovely patrons on Patreon. So we're going to start with them. And we're going to start with Ian D. And Ian says... I really loved this when it came out. I think a lot of people were put off because it's a Bible story. I didn't realise how good the cast is. I just looked now and was amazed who was in it. Also, the songs are really good. And I think you might have hit the nail on the head there, Ian, because perhaps some people are put off the fact that it is based on a religious story. Although it is based on a religious story, you don't have to be particularly religious to appreciate this story and to understand this story. But I think that's a really interesting point that you've made. And we also have perennial comment to Andy. And Andy says, The Prince of Egypt really feels like what could have been for DreamWorks Animation. A solid outing for the studio that was desperate to overtake Disney in the animation market. See also Ants to Pixar The Bug's Life. It really could have led to bigger and better. While the songs are hardly memorable, the animation holds up and the voice cast is perfect. Unfortunately, a little film came along a few years later, parentheses, Shrek, that would dictate the direction of the studio for better or for a shark's tail, before ultimately being gobbled up by Illumination. It's a shame because Prince of Egypt and the criminally underrated road to El Dorado really showed promise in the field of hand-drawn animation and didn't solely rely on the raised eyebrow posters of the DreamWorks animation era post-Shrek. 
And to be honest, Andy, I think you're absolutely right. I think that this movie really does show what DreamWorks could do with hand-drawn animation. And I've covered Shrek. I'm a huge fan of Shrek. That movie definitely changed the game for DreamWorks. With most of these animation studios, it's really disappointing that they just kind of gave up on the traditional 2D hand-drawn animation because it is laborious. This movie took a long time to make, but it's so worth it. Just, just look at it. Look how worth it is. And you know Andy, he's one of the hosts of the amazing podcast that is Geek Salad. They are a podcast with over 200 episodes of geeky, nerdy brilliance for your very ears. So I will put some information in the show notes for Geek Salad. Make sure that you have a listen. The final patron comment is from Brendan and he says, In addition to being one of the most gorgeous hand-drawn animated films of its decade, which is really saying something, The Prince of Egypt is a fascinating look at the path almost taken by DreamWorks' animating department, which would later fork its track and never look back. It's also a shockingly effective streamlining of the Book of Exodus narrative that borrows the 90s Disney's Renaissance big spectacle and lots of singing formula to great success. Mythic, sumptuous, well-acted and features some of Hans Zimmer's best work. It holds up royally. Moving over to Twitter, we have at HarryMetMovies who said, This is one of the films that started our podcast in a way. When the first lockdown happened, it was just before Harry's birthday. So we started doing a weekly thing where we watched a film he hadn't seen before and this was one of the first couple we watched. We need to rewatch it for the podcast, but it is fantastic. Some great songs and stunning animation. I am not religious in any way, but find the story really compelling still. Feel the stage show would also be impressive. At Thief CGT said, This is a good one. I rewatched it a couple of years ago and was surprised how well it held up. Gorgeous animation, great voice performances, cool songs, playing with the big boys as a standout. I also like the changes they made in the story, Ari, the brother relationship. At the Middleborn said, The best film about the first few chapters of Exodus hands down and could hold its own, perhaps even better, than the Disney musicals of the 90s. And the score, even without the songs, is one of my favourites of all time. At Rob Nodi said, That explains why I've never seen it on a Disney deal in HMV. Sodding hells. Thought because it was 2D, it was Disney. In short, I'm a dum-dum. And no, you're not, Rob, because I imagine a lot of people do think this is a Disney movie. Moving over to Instagram, at Friendly Sparpod said, This movie started my obsession with Egyptian mythology. And at Sassy Lassie 76 said, This voice cast is outstanding. I haven't watched this movie in years, but I remember being blown away by the cast and the beautiful song Moses' mother sings as she sends him down the river in the basket. I'm looking forward to this episode. Well, I'm really, really glad to hear that. There are no comments over on Facebook. But as always, a huge thank you to everyone who's given some comments on The Prince of Egypt. The most famous song from this movie, When You Believe, suggests that there can be miracles when you believe. And this is a movie about belief, but not just belief in God. The pharaohs, both Seti and Ramesses, believe in God, but in that they are the God. They are the morning and evening star, as they continually say. The Hebrew people don't have a non-belief in God. They ask God to help them out of their situation because they genuinely do believe. And this is a story fundamentally based in religion, but it's not about the belief of any one God. It's about self-belief. Moses struggles with his self-belief and his background until he talks with God. Ramesses, as Prince Regent, struggles with the self-belief that he can be as good as a ruler as his father. When his own father mentions that weak links break chains, He expresses doubt in Ramesses, and Ramesses carries that doubt, which manifests into wanting to become 
even bigger than his father. I mean, you'll notice that even his statue is bigger than his father's. Some might say that he's compensating for something. But I digress. This is also a story of privilege and how privilege can blind you. When Moses thinks he's a prince, he doesn't see the mistreatment of the slaves who were building monuments for his father. But when he realizes that he too is a Hebrew and was destined to be killed just because he was one of those Hebrew baby boys, he becomes attuned to the Hebrew people. He finally listens and understands their plight. He's been up on a pedestal for so long, he's become immune to empathy for human beings. In many ways, seeing the slaves as worthless and inhuman, just like Seti, he even says they're only slaves, as if that justifies murdering, beating, working them to the bone and denying them basic human rights. The Prince of Egypt is a meticulously and thoughtfully planned story that takes the story of Exodus and makes it more human, more relatable, and places these two brothers at the center of a story that in religious terminology means so much more than that, but it grounds it while also keeping it a sweeping epic, beautifully told and masterfully animated. It's also kind of humbling when you realize that yes, many of the great man-made wonders of the world probably were built by slaves. And in a movie so based around religion, the decision to cast Val Kilmer as the voice of God was a stroke of genius to suggest that if you believe in God, that he is within you, is theologically masterful, really. The creator's clear passion for this story, as well as the culture of ancient Egypt, is apparent throughout. It shares a great deal with The Mummy, which is the greatest movie ever made. And I don't just mean the Egyptian setting, I'm talking Seti the First, plagues, I'm even talking those ancient mirrors that both movies use. I would suggest, if you want a great double bill of movies, The Prince of Egypt and The Mummy from 1999. But to summarise, The Prince of Egypt never sugarcoats its serious undertones. What it does do is tell a story that is the cornerstone of faith for millions of people worldwide in a 2D hand-drawn animated format that is accessible, beautiful and complemented by CG. And really, that's the power of animation right there. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Prince of Egypt. And if you have enjoyed this episode, and this is your first episode of this podcast, well, there are 135 other episodes out there for you to enjoy. Movies of all genre, obviously not animation because animation is not a genre, but movies of all genre, all type. Please feel free to go through the back catalogue and have a listen. And if you do enjoy this podcast and you want it to grow, because I know I do, and more importantly, you want other people to know this podcast as well then the easiest way to do that is to simply tell your friends or family about this podcast. You can also leave a rating or review. I will put a link in the show notes to help you do that. And you can also retweet all my posts on social media. That's probably the easiest thing, actually. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. And if you did like this episode on the Prince of Egypt, you might also like one of the following episodes. So, of course, I'm going to recommend episode 13, The Mummy, because I just told you about it. The Mummy is, in my opinion, the greatest movie ever made. It's so steeped in ancient Egyptian history and mythology and all of that really cool stuff about ancient Egypt. And it's just a super fun movie. And if you enjoy this movie, I guarantee you will enjoy that one as well. I have mentioned it, episode 79, Shrek. Obviously, Shrek really changed the game when it came to animation at DreamWorks, but it is a fun movie. It doesn't necessarily hold up as well as this movie, in my opinion, because I find that CG animation 
doesn't tend to hold up as well as hand-drawn animation. But the story behind Shrek is really, really interesting. So you should absolutely listen to that. And episode 113, The Mummy Returns, because if you've listened to The Mummy and you've listened to The Prince of Egypt, you might as well listen to The Mummy Returns as well. Now, arguably, The Mummy Returns is not as good as its predecessor, but there is a lot of good fun there. Give me feedback on my recommendations. Let me know what you think. Next episode. So, more hand-drawn animation. And more hand-drawn animation rooted in a historical setting. I mentioned him earlier. This time, for the next episode, we're going to be going to Don Bluth. And specifically, Don Bluth and Fox animation. And Don Bluth's attempt at a Disney-fied princess movie. And that movie is Anastasia. Anastasia, of course, is based on the assassination of the Russian Tsar Nicholas II and his family, the Romanovs, and their supposedly only surviving child, the Grand Duchess Anastasia. It's a really, really interesting little movie, and I'm really excited to be talking about Anastasia. Now, this podcast is free, and it's always going to be free. You're never going to have to pay for this podcast. But if you do want to help support this podcast, you're under no obligation, as I always say. But if you do, then you can pop over to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. And you can join the wonderful patrons of this podcast. I like to thank them every episode because I'm genuinely so grateful to them. They are Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, and Ian D. There can be miracles. When you believe. You can check out my merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. There is a new merch store coming very, very soon. I guarantee. I know I've talked about it for a long time, but there is genuinely a new merch store coming. You can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com or you can pop to my website verbaldiorama.com and you can also see what I do at filmstories.co.uk. I write for the Film Stories magazine and I also write articles online as well. And finally... Be still now, don't cry. Sleep as you're rocked by the streets. Sleep and remember my last lullaby. So I'll be with you when you dream. 
Show Pharaoh your new baby brother. Okay. Moses. <laughs> <laughs> 